Defense Podcast. My name is Eric Sauer. I got Lane Green here of Basketball Insiders. How you doing, Lane? What's going on, my man? It's always good to rap with you. It's good to be on. I feel honored and privileged, man. It's pretty fun, pretty fun. Basketball season has begun. We are in the full swing of tons of games. It's a wonderful time of the year. And uh, let's talk some uh, some Hawks and some Suns. they got a game coming up on Wednesday. And uh, so I want to hear first, uh, give me a little rundown of the Hawks so far. What is What have been your takeaways in this early part of the season? Well, I'll tell you what, before you got into this recent slide that the team is going through right now, the Hawks have been very impressive to me in terms of their toughness on the boards. And one thing that the Hawks have not been doing as in recent years is really being able to clean the glass. A guy like Dwight Howard comes in replacing Al Horford, who's a part of the free agency. He has cleaned the glass. I think the biggest um, example that you can see of what Dwight Howard's impact was was when the Hawks beat Cleveland earlier this year. Tristan Thompson absolutely took Al Horford's lunch money for the past couple years. And matter of fact, I always say this, Tristan Thompson owes Al Horford a thank you card, a lunch or something for his big extension because of what he was able to do against the Hawks in the playoffs, basically, you know, just really dominating the offensive class. If you go back to that Hawks-Cleveland game, you see Dwight Howard really nullified Tristan Thompson's impact. So that's something different that you haven't seen from the Hawks. Yes, you know that they're offensively, uh, you know, smooth the way they play. Yes, you know that they get after you defensively. However, they were an undersized team inside. They did not clean the glass, and that's something that I'm noticing early on. But when you start talking about individual players, they paid a guy like Ken Bazemore four years, $72 million, or $70 million in the offseason. He is pressing a bit. I mean, shooting under 40% from the floor, really struggling to even get to 30% from three-point range. Some would say, some here in Atlanta are saying, hey, you know, it was money that wasn't well spent. I won't say that. I think he's pressing. New contract, heightened expectations, and he has two small force now behind him on the roster two young wolves you know a guy like Torian Prince and a guy like DeAndre Bembry these are two young wolves that eventually will get some time in the Hawks consistent nightly lineup B I think Ken Bazemore is pressing just a little bit but for the most part the Hawks look good their recent slides a little bit uh, discouraging big blowout losses to Utah and LA on the road and tonight as we record this November 28th, they play Golden State um, in the next 20 minutes or so uh, out there at Oracle, which could get ugly too. So we'll see how they do. Okay, good good stuff there, good stuff. Yeah, I was looking down there, and Dwight Howard in that game against uh, Cleveland had 17 rebounds. <laughs> That's pretty good. Unbelievable. And when you consider, and I'm, you know, this is off the top of my head, and you think Al Horford, where the Cleveland Cavaliers and Atlanta Hawks met in the playoffs last year, I believe Al Horford might not have had 20 rebounds in the entire series. And you start talking, see, that's the difference right there. Now, will that be enough come playoff time against LeBron James and his Kings court? I don't know. I'm not going to say that. But it will be a different challenge if the Hawks have to play Cleveland in the postseason. Yeah, definitely. And even I noticed, and I was looking, doing some research, Dwight Howard is even being a better rebounder for himself, or is, or maybe it's just him uh, also getting a more opportunity to get more rebounds. Because I'm looking at his, he is by far the highest offensive rebound percentage of 17.9. He didn't even hit anything. He's never hit past 13.8 before in his entire career. So he just is gobbling up all the rebounds everywhere. Indeed, man. I tell you what, I think... 
know, Howard being able to do that, it's freed up Paul Millsap a lot. Paul Millsap averaged nine rebounds a game last year. And Paul Millsap is more in that seven to eight range, I think, you know, really extending himself, trying to average nine, ten last year. And that's just because Al Horford is not a, you know, as for as good as Al Horford is in a lot of his game, you know, pick and pop, um, you know, very sound defender. However, he's not a glass cleaner. And I think Paul Millsap overcompensated a lot last year. And I think the White House press has freed up a lot of things um, inside. Yeah, definitely. And also, there's there's been a uh, I don't know. It's been a about among writers that Paul Millsap has been one of the better defenders in the league, and he's gone mostly unnoticed for it. As a Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, and others get consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. What do you think about that? What have you heard? What do you What do you think? Oh, yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, Paul Millsap on the defensive end is one of the league's best-kept secrets the past couple seasons. I mean, he's a guy that gets after he defends multiple positions. Um, I think here playing in the Atlanta market, I mean, Atlanta sometimes doesn't get the credit it deserves. And you look at the playoff streak that the franchise has been in since 2008, they have not missed the playoffs. Uh, but when you start talking about the national media, you have Charles Barkley and the guys on TNT, you know, they'll make a joke about Atlanta. And I get it. You know, there's been a lot of years where they haven't been serious contenders, but you have to tip your hat to the franchise for putting together playoff teams year after year after year. You know, in your market, Phoenix, I know you guys would love to be in this kind of position that Atlanta is, at least sniffing the playoffs um, and getting back into that kind of promised land. I think it deserves something, some type of credit. But, yes, to answer your question, Paul Millsap is definitely a guy that gets after it defensively. This year, a little bit slow and sluggish, in my opinion, uh, came to the year a little banged up. However, he is a guy that uh, uh, should be getting a lot more praise on this defensive side of the ball. In the, uh, definitely. In the um, the last couple of years of offseason or whenever he was a free agent, and or last well, this last summer for sure, it was the potential that he could go elsewhere. And uh, if they were going to retain Horford and just before the Howard was uh, a thing, if he was going to sign with them, his hometown team, that he, Paul Messoff would have been the perfect addition to Phoenix before they get Jared Dudley or before they draft Chris or uh, Bender even as the veteran stopgap because he's kind of exactly what Phoenix would need at that position for sure. But it's two guys out there in the Western Conference. Both teams start with the P. Phoenix Suns, as you mentioned, and the Portland Trailblazers. Two teams that would definitely love a guy like Paul Millsap. Even though he's over the 30-year-old mark, he's still a guy that, you know, gives you 16, 18 points, 7 and 9 rebounds a game. Plus, he is a good passer, a willing defender, plays the passing lanes. I mean, he would be perfect for a team like Phoenix, the young squad that you guys have going on out there but also a team like the Portland Trailblazers as well, who, in my opinion, have a lot of things working in their favor. But that power four spot, not being able to get a lot of stuff out of Ed Davis, Myers Leonard, uh, Noah Vonley, just a lot of inconsistency at that power four spot for them. They had to move Alfarika Minu to the four spot uh, when he's better suited to play the three just to take over some of that uh, deficiency. Uh, But yes, Paul Millsap will be a guy that's in demand uh when 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 his uh, free agency car comes up yeah i definitely agree with agree with everything you said there especially portland such a guard heavy team as it's phoenix and on that note what do you think about phoenix what do you think about them the last couple years kind of how they had the hornacek years of a crazy 48 wins but you missed the playoffs and then you jump back down all this coming after the amazing years with nash what do you think about 
them in the last several years, plus um, specifically this beginning of this year in their off season. When you start talking about the Phoenix Suns, you just have to, you have a lot of question marks. I mean, from the outside looking in, I see a team that has always been able to attract good talent, a team that has always played a fun style of basketball, a team, a franchise that has a solid, solid fan base. I mean, there's nothing I, I can say about that Phoenix Suns fan base really cares about the team. However, you have a lot of talent coming in and out of that, that situation you have to question some of the pieces and some of the moves that's been made. I mean, obviously, the whole Goran Dragic, uh, Isaiah Thomas type of fiasco over a couple years, trading both, and now kind of, you know, doing a rebuild. However, you know, guys like Devin Booker, T.J. Warren, you know, and young guys being able to thrive and grow, it looks like Phoenix could potentially, even though it's not showing up necessarily in the win-loss column, are a team that are letting their young guys trial by, fire, trial by fire, letting them, you know, seek or swim, learn on the job. And that's beneficial for a lot of young guys that needs to get that experience. Because one thing in the NBA, man, you can watch from the bench as long as you want, but you have to get out there on the court, start trying to close games out. I think Devin Booker is a phenomenal guy, a guy that will definitely challenge for some all-star appearances throughout his career as he grows and develops. little disappointed this year in terms of his sophomore growth, struggling with his shot in terms of finding a consistent rhythm from the outside. Obviously, you're a little bit closer to the situation. You might understand or know a little bit more deeper in terms of like how they're utilizing him in terms of specific sets. But from the outside looking in the naked eye, it looks like he's, you know, a little regressing with his shot. I don't know if that's the way defenses are playing him or if he's just rushing his shot a little bit more as he's elevated now into a full-time starter. Another question I'm asking, like, what's going on with Brandon Knight? I mean, here's a guy that's been a starter for a lot of his career. Um, obviously, someone that can still put up 20 points if given the minutes has accepted his role off the bench in terms of being a public, you know, a company man publicly, but come the trade deadline with Ryan McDonough and the crew um, not pull the trigger on somebody like him who can actually potentially uh, give Phoenix some more type of assets at the trade deadline and continue the rebuilding process. Yeah, definitely like a lot of good stuff there. I'll take, uh, I think, three, I think three points I had mentioned from the things that you said. One about the uh, the Brandon Knight. One is he is a good player. Like, I watch him all the time, and he's good. He can shoot. He's a playmaker in a sense that he can make something happen. But it's kind of um, I don't know. It's 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 amazing to me how many times he can squander possession with a bad shot or a turnover. It even if it doesn't. I mean, he has a amazingly um, mediocre uh, plus minus for the season so far. But it's just like the amazing ability to, when you're watching the game, to not have confidence, to almost have confidence that he's going to squander a possession is kind of amazing compared to everybody else. Like, Bledsoe is so much better than him, and it doesn't show up in the box score or anything, but right. Bledsoe is less turnover-prone, uh, and seemingly now is almost as good of a shooter with the, the way Bledsoe's been shooting the ball this year. And uh, he's stronger, and he's better defensively. But uh, Brandon Knight is very good. He, he, as long as he can keep up this six-man role, there's a chance he gets six-man of the year, mostly because it's a six-man of the year is a who can shoot the most shots, get the most points as a guard off the bench is really what it, the, it's become. Right. And then about the about Devin Booker, he 
he probably needs to get a little more shots, like let, let Bledsoe handle it instead of trying to create himself for now. Um, they've had a little bit of a problem the last few games because Warren's been out that Booker's having to sometimes play the three, which he's almost tall enough at 6'7", but, I mean, he what is he? He just turned 20 years old. I don't think he's ready to be facing Durant and just amazing the big, small forwards. Yeah, um, physicality could be a problem as well. Like, yeah, good point. I mean, the funny thing is, if, you, if you've seen it with his fouls on LeBron James and every time they come, and he doesn't back down. He has the mentality for the physicality, but he doesn't have, like, the Bledsoe ability to take the contact and finish. He does sometimes, obviously, but there is just something that will be there in a couple of years that just isn't right now. Right. And so he'll get there. So we'll see. This team is young. The, the biggest thing really in this market has been that the all the writers are trying to actually give the young guys more minutes. I mean, Chris is already starting, but of course Dudley and Tucker and other people are getting a lot of the minutes because he'll screw up and he has really good, decent um, stretches. But over a game, it's hard to sustain that. But even trying to get Bender more minutes, Bender I think should get more minutes. He keeps getting a plus, a positive plus minus whenever he's in there. And he just needs some time to really get acclimated to the game. But they really do need to uh, play the guys. But people are trying to say, oh, it's a lost season. Trade all the trade all the veterans. Trade Chandler. Trade Tucker. Trade Knight. And uh, start even younger. I'm like, I'm not quite sure that going that young is such a good deal. Obviously, it's no 76ers situation. But you can't just have young people or veterans that don't contribute too much. My yeah, I, think, I, I, think, I definitely think the next time someone tells you um, train all the veterans away, I think you need to point them to the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, people laughed this summer when they got signed guys like Timothy Mozgov and Luau Ding. And while those guys aren't necessarily lighting up the nightly box score, what they are doing is providing some stability in the locker room from a veteran standpoint. You cannot under you know underestimate that. I mean, like you know, guys that's been in the locker room that know how to win, that's been in the playoffs. Jared Dudley's been in the playoffs. Tyson Chandler's had playoff wars. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, you cannot mistake that. And there is something that goes to it with young guys that could potentially get out of line in terms of from a maturity standpoint. And, you know, not talking anything, you know, too detrimental. I'm just talking about from maturity. Um, take the shortcut. Um, young, you're in your prime. You think you can just get by with your athleticism. And sometimes, you know, you have a veteran pull you through and say, hey, now, man, listen, you know, follow this, run the play exactly, you're going to get the results. That is needed. So I think the next time someone says, hey, just go full young, um, no, you need some veterans. And you can even look at the Philadelphia 76ers this year with some of the veterans that they bought in during offseason, Gerald Henderson, Gerald Bayless, uh, Sergio Rodriguez, who has a long career overseas. You know, you need those type of guys around your young wolves to help them grow. Yeah, definitely. Jared Dudley has really, every time I hear him talk, I just am amazed at how much he fits that role perfectly. He can still contribute with his threes and his defense. And he every time he does something good, basically, the steals, I basically tweet out active hands because people joke that he's not, he's not, very, he's not very athletic. But he always gets his hands in there. He's always where he's supposed to be. He makes threes, and he's the, one of the best leaders I've seen from someone who's like not a LeBron type star on his team. Same thing let, me with a little, let me give a little love to Jared Dudley. I mean, here's a guy that um, has made the most of his career. You know, like we talked about his athletic prowess. It's you know he's not the most athletic guy. I think he will tell you that you know man to man. Uh, but you know you 
talk about a guy that, you know, worked on his shots, become a reliable guy from, you know, outside the perimeter, you know, three, a guy that, you know, is really should be a small forward, a guy's playing straight, a lot of stretch four against a lot of bigger guys, giving up a lot of physicality, um, someone that doesn't back down. He's great in the broadcast booth as well, if you heard him speak there, like you, you, know, you mentioned. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be around the NBA scene for a long time, long after he hangs up the laces. I don't know if it's going to be coaching somewhere in the front office or somewhere in the broadcast booth. I mean, hey, you got to give Jared Daly some props for really extending his career outside of what his athletic system um, has been. Did you actually, when he was first in the league and the first time on the Suns, do you know what position he played? What position he was playing out there? He was playing a two and sometimes like like ball handling two. Like wow. he, like he when he started he was a two like absolutely and now in seven eight nine years later he's a legitimate four which is crazy for someone who's only like what is he six six ish six, six seven six six seven maybe maybe I mean, I, when I started covering the league I was out there in Charlotte so he was there oh, yeah. and uh, you know I you know, I used to see uh, Coach Al Skinner and coach them at college he used to come down to the games you know coach him up and you know like you say he was playing the two three. At that time, and, you know, Charlotte's really trying to find a role for him. That's when they had, you know, Ray Felton and uh, Mecca Okafor and all of that. Uh, but, but I tell you what, man, I mean, you talk about a guy that's just roll with the tides. <laughs> you know, you need me to play two? Okay. Three? Okay. Four? Okay. You know, he's been doing it. And even at the beginning of the year, he was a starting four to uh, make sure that Chris and Bender didn't have to do too much. Uh, see- seemingly, after a few games, a week or two, he's like, okay, okay we, we don't know that he said this, but... Basically goes to Coach Watson, probably says, "Okay, Chris is ready to start. Um, start him. I'm going to come off the bench." Well, and so it seems like that's what happened. And uh, I mean, Chris has been better. It's better that Chris gets to work with Bledsoe and Booker rather than um, Knight and Barbosa, probably. Right. But uh, it's and it's better for the bench also. And Tucker as well. I mean, he hasn't been playoff tested, but he is a veteran who gets, as I say, all the fourth quarter rebounds that you need. His toughness and the heart and soul of this team. It's amazing. I totally agree with you, man. I totally agree. And my question for you, so you're very close, I want to dominate the conversation is Alex Lynn. I mean, obviously Tyson Chandler got the big deal as a veteran. You know, Alex Lynn was, you know, the lottery pick. How do you see him developing? What's the pulse of the Phoenix Suns nation? As it, as it goes to Alex Lynn, obviously when Tyson Chandler has missed time last year, early this year, he puts up some pretty good stat lines, but is it a consistency thing? Is it a role? Is it is it, is it, is, is it a style of play? What is possibly missing with a guy like Alex Lynn? Well, so first first of all, the Chandler thing, the Chandler signing was a way to get Marcus Aldridge. So okay. that was like the on the verge of there. So I mean, obviously, it's not a bad thing to get a veteran who has won a championship uh, with Dallas and uh, to get him to be your mentor and to help young guys. But I think initially it was to help get LaMarcus Aldridge. And for now, so for Alex Len, though, Alex Len is really, he was, I think, the fifth pick when he was drafted, I believe, 13. And uh, he, I mean, he he passed Nerland's Noel. Remember Nerland's in that draft was number one draft to seven. And right. Alex Lynn passed him. And Alex Lynn is probably around 7'1", 7'2"-ish. He's really tall. He's really big. He's he's become he's, – in early his career, he had nagging injuries, like little a, a, a pinky. His pinky kept getting broken, his nose, his foot, like little things that weren't actually like season-ending injuries. 
but really kept him from getting in a groove. And then he started being too finesse for a while and not trying to just hammer stuff down. And now he's actually doing that. If you see the games, he's actually getting the, he's actually finishing through contact, getting that down. His shot was not quite on, but now it's getting a lot closer. He still fades away a bit on uh, those mid-range jumpers. But he does have that down now. He's a pretty good passer. But the problem has been that at the end of last year when Watson came in and was just ready to uh, kind of see what he had, he, he, for a couple of weeks there he fed Len completely, and he just wasn't able to keep up with it. He wasn't His efficiency went way, way down. He still has never really been that great of a – you can't really run your offense through him. So I'm starting to think that he can't be that – top five center I mean who, even when he drafted didn't necessarily think that was going to happen but right. like he's he's maybe a Brooke Lopez less person like he could be it but you're not going to have a playoff contender with him as your best player second best player but he's probably better than a role player if that makes sense like for his whole career but we'll yeah, see you. where he ends up but that's kind of where I see what do you think yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, you know, I've been able to see him play a lot, and I definitely see flashes. You know, I see a guy that, if he's given, you know, consistent, you know, 20, 28, 32 minutes a game, a guy that could potentially average, you know, 14 and 8, 13 and 8, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a block and a half. I mean, that's kind of what you want from the center in today's league. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think it's something where, a lot of early injuries, a lot of, you know, a lot of that stuff, coaching changes, plays a big role, you know, different coaches ask you to do certain things. Um, that's a lot for a younger guy to kind of get adjusted to, especially with coaches. And they're not being malicious, but a lot of times coaches, when you're a young player, they're trying to mold you into what they see of you, as opposed to a guy like Tyson Chandler. I mean, you know, Hornacek or Watson. I mean, they're not trying to mold a guy like Tyson Chandler. You get a guy like Tyson Chandler, you're letting Tyson Chandler do what he does. But with a lot of younger players, and I think you're seeing this with, you know, with Chris and with Bender, you know, you're seeing what Watson is doing, trying to mold them into what he sees uh, them to be. Uh, and sometimes that's for the good of the player, and sometimes it's not for the good of the player. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so let's uh, change gears. Um, I want to talk about Kyle Korver. He's been always been one of my kind of favorite players. He had a down year last year. Can you tell me kind of what happened, what it was like, and how he's dancing back? I'll tell you what. I mean, Kyle Korver, if you remember last year, um, it's a couple things I think that I – and I've joked about this on Twitter. Um, it's a little bit of Matthew Delavadova's dive in the playoffs the season before, which took out his ankle, and a little bit of father time. Uh, you know, he had, he had surgery that offseason, came back, you know, trying to work himself into gear. Um did play a whole bunch in the preseason, um, and then, you know, the guy is, you know, in those mid-30s now, so it's, it's, it's harder for him to bounce back. I always ask the question to people, say, show me somebody in the league that started the first 10 or 11 years as a role player and then developed into an all-star, you know, like, show me, like, I mean, Kyle Corver is the is the guy that comes to my mind at, at that, and I think the system, and you remember what they, uh, what the Hawks were able to get Kyle Corver for, uh, for the Chicago Bulls, which is basically a bag of peanuts, mm-hmm. and what he's been able to do with the franchise. I mean, before Steph Curry, of course, obliterated his three-point shooting streak. Remember Kyle Korver had that yeah. uh, as part of that Hawk 60-win uh, unit. A lot of that was with him being very flippant from outside, from three-point range, very accurate 
out there. I mean, listen, Kyle Corvery is a true pro. Uh, been able to cover him now for all these seasons here in Atlanta. True pro, a guy that's going to do whatever's asked. Now, I think the question is with the Hawks is how long can he man this starting shooting guard spot for a team that has deep playoff aspirations? Um, eventually, uh, you know, Father Time will, uh, you know, take his toll on everyone. As you know, Father Time's undefeated. And at that point in time, does Kyle Corver transition into a bench role, or does he keep the starting spot, but more it's like a ceremonial start, and you kind of, you know, mm-hmm. give way to maybe a Kent Bazemore sliding down to shooting guard? Because I think Kent Bazemore is playing, playing out of four. And then with that, you have, you know, the Hawks' young guys, as I mentioned earlier, Torian Prince, DeAndre Bembry, um, those guys in small four kind of elevating themselves into the three. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think Kyle Corver is still someone that, um, as the Eastern Conference assistant coach once told me, he is the most feared, you know, role player in the league in terms of shooting that rock. I mean, a guy, as the coach told me, it's like, hey, for a guy that shoots the ball under eight times a game, he is someone that we spend a significant amount of time game planning for because if he gets hot, then you have to respect him, and that opens up so many opportunities for the other Hawks players. Yeah, definitely. I think him and J.J. Redick, who incidentally had the, what a great podcast with when J.J. had him on to talk about shooting three-pointers, it was oh, yeah. kind of amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, something, it's something else to really look at. I mean, uh, you know, these aren't necessarily well-known players, but, you know, I think your, your son's folks will remember John Jenkins, who the Hawks drafted. It was John Jenkins, who's a great shooter, by lines you. I mean, listen, he might not, you know, he's trying to put other things together with his whole game to really stick in the league. But uh, John Jenkins, I think Anthony Morrow was here, Kyle Corver, I mean, and those guys, uh, Lou Williams, I mean, those guys were, you know, after practice basically just having all types of shooting contests and, you know, trash talking. Of course, Kyle Corver was coming out victorious with his hand raised 90% of the time, but it was just something something to, uh, to see. If you're talking the same John Jenkins, he's the 15th man on the Suns right now. Yep, 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 yep. And, uh, so, to... he, he's a guy that can stroke that ball, man. I've seen him in person. I got to cover him while he was here in Atlanta those two years. And uh, listen, he's a guy that can really shoot. Now, I think defensively, there's a lot of things that John might struggle with, which might, might limit his time. And also, you know, a little bit of athleticism physical, in terms of his size, mm-hmm. having a guard against some of the bigger shooting guards in the league. But let me tell you something. If that guy has some room, he can really knock down some threes, man, if given the opportunity. Yeah, we've seen that. And back to the Kyle Korver thing, I mean, in 14-15 when they had, the Hawks had four All-Stars, I mean, right. I'm looking at Kyle Korver's three-point percentage, 49-2. Like, yes. From three, like, that yes. is way better than almost anybody's. I mean, that's amazing. I, I mean, and he wasn't taking three threes a game either. I mean, I yeah. think it was up to almost six a game yeah, or something Yeah, six like attempts, that. six attempts a game. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. He, so, was, he was insane that year. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Let's talk about uh, Kent Bazemore. You were mentioning him. I always think he's kind of hilarious. One, his uh, career arc, and then also the whole Baze face stuff that makes me laugh so much. <laughs> Um, elaborate on on both of those things. Well, listen, man. Um, uh, listen, I, I think when you talk about guys around the league that are just kind of fun to be around. I mean, Kim Bazemore is the guy. I mean, you love his story, a journeyman around the league, a guy that really got known as being a big time towel waver. I think at one point in his career, 
he was basically known as uh, I think NBA 2K had not had uh, acknowledged his towel waving to the point they put him into one of the promos of the upcoming release of NBA 2K. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this, about three some years ago, uh, somebody from the Warriors did something on the court and then they went to the bench shot and they showed baseball going crazy on the bench. So you think about that, going from that guy, uh, kind of like a, you know, a, a, a watered-down ML car to, you know, a guy that, you know, almost you know, signed a $70 million deal this past offseason. It's a testament to his hard work. It's a testament to his uh, fortitude to stick to stay in there. Yeah, I was excited for him for sure. I remember in this, I think it was the summer league right before he was on the Warriors doing that, waving his hands, doing windmills on the side, yes. just kind of like waving everywhere, being really excited. And I'm really excited for him to now go from there to the Lakers for a little bit after Golden State and now Atlanta and really sticking as a solidified role player and, like you were saying, potentially a starter in the future here. And I really just, it's kind of interesting for that, for that career arc to go, to bounce around the league be journeyman actually stick and still keep his his personality, which is really great. It's great, and listen, the guy he will give you the base face. If you know, I've seen him uh, do it to reporters. When reporters are you know interviewing somebody in that locker room, he'll come behind him, give him the face. I mean, it's it's fun to see. I mean, it's something that um, you know people are getting used to him. <laughs> you know, dropping that photo bomb on you, or you know, giving you the look. But it's uh, like I said. I mean, you know, uh, Baysmore is one of those guys around the league that you, 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 you know, as a member of the media, you, you know, you're like, okay, you take your your preferences and you know put them to the side. But you know, there's certain guys you definitely root for, and there's certain guys that you're just like, wow, and this guy really has the heart into it. It's working hard. You can really see it, and you hope things pan out for him in the future. Definitely, I definitely like the one where you saw a mismatch that Dwight Howard had. And, uh, and then he, he started laughing, he starts giving the base face, and then just throws the alley-oop, and he knocks it down. That was yes. great. Yes. On that transition to uh, Howard, um, Howard's career arc has been really interesting in terms of the steps he's gone from being the franchise player in Orlando, flaming out in, in, in L.A., but not necessarily his fault. It was kind of a systemic issue, to rejuvenating his career in Houston – but not really achieving necessarily what we, they had wanted. And then now in Atlanta, seeming to really have rejuvenation, even though the numbers don't necessarily show that much of improvement. What do you think about him in the last several years of his career? Well, I'll tell you what, Dwight Howard is a guy that has thrived. If you, if you pay attention to Dwight Howard's career arc, he's a guy that has thrived with structure. Mm-hmm. What Stan Van Dunny gave him in Orlando was structure. He gave him a structure. He said, we're going to put you inside. We're going to surround you with shooters. This is your role. You remember Stan Van Gunny was very vocal with him defensively. Oh, you know, he needs to grab more rebounds. Remember that? And then he pulled mm-hmm. out like 15. Stan Van Gunny has press conferences. He needs more. You know, the way how he responds with like 20-something the next game. <laughs> it was structure. I mean, when you look at the structure he had there in Orlando, and that's why he was, uh, at one point in time, regarded as a top 10 player in the league. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at, okay, he had the back injury. I mean, you can't discount that. I mean, yeah. A lot of people like to glaze over that. Listen, it's a back. We've seen back injuries take out guys like Larry Johnson. Shout out to Grandma Ma. We've seen back injuries take out Larry Legend. Shout out to Larry Bird. I mean, we've seen what back injuries can do. So the fact that he's still out there playing is great. But back to structure out in L.A., it was you know, hey, Mike D'Antoni. I mean, it's not necessarily a structured style for Dwight Howard. He goes down to Houston. I will say this again. Last year in Houston, you know, Kevin McHale gets fired. 
If you pick a staff, where's the structure? You know, what was the identity of those Lakers teams that that Lakers team that Dwight Howard was on? What was the identity of the Houston Rockets team that he was on? Right? They didn't so even know. Even they did make it to the Western Conference Finals that year. You start talking about the structure, the overall dynamic. You're like, wow, look at Dwight Howard. Now he comes back to Atlanta with a guy like Coach Mike Boonhoser from the San Antonio tree. Structure. Guys are playing within the system, and that's why you see him in terms of the statistically it's not looking like he's jump leaps and bounds. But you can definitely tell by the Hawk style of play and by how Dwight Howard's being received around the league that his play has improved. Yes, definitely, on the defensive end and, and on the offensive end as well. Um, any um, more thoughts about the Suns before I let you go here? I'll tell you what, I, I think the Hawks, have, I think this, the Suns have a great opportunity um, to get a win against the Hawks on Wednesday. I mean, the Hawks, you know, brutal road trip right now, Utah, Lakers, uh, Golden State tonight, then out, out to Phoenix. Um, the last thing, you know, that, you know, a veteran team or guys, guys with like a veteran legs, Paul Millsap, Dwight Howard, you know, Favel, Cephalosha, you know, these veteran guys don't want to, you know, at the tail end of a road trip, have to deal with some young guys like, you know, Devin Booker and, you know, and Chris and Bender and, and, and all these guys running up and down the floor at Grease Lightning. So Also on um, more rest, like the Suns played yesterday and won't play till till the Hawks game. <laughs> So it'd be interesting. I think I think uh, I think your listeners and I think you I think everyone should just take a look at how the Suns come out against the Hawks, a road weary team. Um, it's like a, I like to talk boxing. It's a boxing analogy. I mean, sometimes you got to come out and you just jump on somebody from from the opening tip and you can't let them get started. I think if the Suns let the Hawks kind of get into rhythm, could be a long night. But the Suns come out and establish the pace early and say, "Hey, we're going to grind you down." You know, the veteran team at the tail end of a road trip, it might capitulate, man. I think the Suns have a very good shot on Wednesday. I agree that that's definitely a possibility. Though, if you know the Suns team, they almost never can jump on anybody. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they don't have the, the, the veteran presence because of their youth to jump on somebody that they should be, quote-unquote. So I like to do predictions here. I'm trying to have a prediction, prediction central. Um, one is I wanted to give your overall – well, one, the take on – are you predicting a Suns win or a Hawks win? I'm predicting a Hawks win. I think the Hawks are going to beat the Suns. Um, I think the Suns are a very live dog, though, and I and I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't bet any of my hard or money on the on the Hawks at the tail end of a road trip against Phoenix. But you know, uh, I, I think the Hawks have edge. I think they lose to Utah, lose to the Lakers. I think they're going to catch an L tonight against Golden State, but I think they will at least salvage the trip uh, or try to against Phoenix. I agree. Also, I wanted to get your take on the Suns' general over-under for the whole year. It's at 26.5, or it was at the beginning of the season. Do you think they get that? They're currently currently have five wins right now. I want to say push, but you know what? I'm going to go over, man. Let's go 28 wins for the Suns this year. Something tells me you really saw how Devin Booker played the second half of last season. I think tour, you know, I think you'll see Earl Watson take off the train wheels from guys like Bender in the future. Um, and then you're going to see what you have with like a guy like Alex Lynn. You're going to see what, what you have, you know, as guys go on. So get some guys healthy, 
after the All-Star break, going to catch some teams, some of the veteran teams down the stretch, probably trying to rest some guys and every, all of that kind of um, shenanigans that coaches do nowadays. I'm going 28 wins for the Suns. Very good. I had them at 34 because I'm here. I'm trying to – they just had so – there's so many issues last year with playing many games with no point guard, which is never going to be a problem anymore since I have a billion of them. Right. And, uh, <laughs> And really, just having so many I mean, Warren, Bledsoe, Knight injured, everything, the whole Marquise Morris stuff. This year is a totally new situation, and they got some new people, and they can catch some people off guard here. So I'm thinking 34, but that may be a bit ambitious. But we shall see what happens. Um, any other? Let's see. What other predictions can we make about t- on Wednesday? Um, how many rebounds do you think Dwight Howard will get versus Tyson Chandler? Um, who will get more rebounds, Tyson Chandler or Dwight Howard? Yeah, I'm going with Dwight Howard. I think Dwight Howard edges him uh, just based on the, the playing time alone. I think you know Dwight Howard might you know really get up into the 30s. Uh, Phoenix, you know, might not play Tyson Chandler as many minutes. And as you know, in the NBA, it's all about minutes and production. Yeah. You know, you get the minutes, you get the production. So. Uh, some tell me I think Dwight Howard's going to edge him on the rebounding battle. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go Chandler because I think that they're going to want to play Chandler more against Howard rather than Len because Chandler's a much better post defender. Indeed. So I think that they might he might play him enough to get him more minutes. Plus, all that Chandler does is rebound and dunk. So they, <laughs> I think yeah. that he'll I think he'll get that. So well, let me. I want to. I really want to plug what you you and Jabari Jabari Young are doing at a Basketball Insiders. Tell the people about that. I tell you what, uh, you know, Jabari Davis and I, we, you know, started up something called the Insider Shop. It's basically just like a barbershop-style conversation about NBA. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of people that follow us just know us from our articles, you know, whether it's analytically written, whether it's just a feature-style story. But they don't just get kind of like a stripped-down, conversational-style approach. So it's just basically Jabari Davis and I, we bring in special guests all the time. Um, and, you know, we're just going to, you know, just have a back and forth like you would have at your local barbershop or just, you know, it's a, you know, neighborhood barbecue, whatever it might be. But we do that. We drop it every Wednesday or Thursday at Basketball Insiders. And if you wanted to get down with it, just use the hashtag uh, Shop Talk and uh, we'll pick it up and try to get, get the topics in. Wonderful. Um, I enjoy that segment a lot when I see you guys do it. Um, I think Jabari's coming on in a couple of weeks to talk Lakers, so that'll be fun. Um, I um, which is going to be great. I'm be tuning in for that because you know I was privy to a lot of you guys' early conversations between the potential between D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker. Yeah, that was an interesting you know, conversation that yeah, lasted like four that's hours. A very interesting conversation, <laughs> but you know what? It's listen. I we can talk for another twenty minutes on that. It's a very interesting dynamic. I think. Uh, real, real short, I just definitely think that D'Angelo Russell is the more boomer bust. I think Devin Booker is the more, like, if you just had the stable money and just had to put your money in the stock market, Devin Booker is that guy. D'Angelo Russell's boomer bust. I mean, he's a guy that could be in one conversation or it could be in a totally different one. So we'll see how that pans out. But that's going to be interesting. I'll be tuning in because I know you guys will have your notes at the midway part. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Talking. Definitely, definitely. So uh, what's, uh, why don't you plug your Twitter handle, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, man. Lane Green, at Lane Green. has been the same since 2009. <laughs> L-A-N-L-A-N-G-R-E-N-E, man. Very real nice. Name, no, real name, no gimmicks. That's how we do <laughs> same it. Same here. Um, 
So check out Lang on Twitter and at Basketball Insiders. Uh, check me out at, at Eric underscore Sar. Check out all the podcasts and everything at uh, solarinsights.net. And uh, check back for more podcasts. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Later, who freaks. <laughs>